Thank you for listening to Mailbox Money, your guided tour through safe, sacred, and speculative investing with a plan and a purpose to do more good with newfound peace of mind. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mailbox Money. I am Jackson Wood, joined as always by my partner and my friend Ryan Kruger. In today's episode, we are going to be discussing cryptocurrency, crypto assets. The title of this of this episode is The Exciting State of Cryptocurrency. And so I I chose that as the title because I wanted to come out with guns blazing and us in the last episode, we talk about daring to be different. Um, again, us kind of showing our our thinking and how different it is and counterintuitive it is um, compared to the narrative that you see in in mainstream media, especially around cryptocurrency. Um, crypto is, is something that we believe in. It's an exciting investment opportunity when done right and when actively managed. And so we just kind of wanted to chop it up today and uh, let you into our thought process around cryptocurrency and why we still see this as as an exciting opportunity. I will share, and then I'm going to get out of the way real quickly here. This I get to ride shotgun on this one and just learn and listen. As the traditional finance guy, as the digital dinosaur, um, I, I got probably my favorite compliment um, that we could ever earn from a young man last week who said of all the stuff I've read and, and listened to, when you said curiosity beats conviction, that is what I want to be around. That is the kind of thinking and team that resonated with him the most. And that made me smile. And this is a perfect example, today's topic. I couldn't know less about anything. Um, and it is so easy to be closed-minded and convinced. And I think the timing of this episode, which I actually suggested because I want to learn more, you know, and we're at, we're sitting at the one-year anniversary of one of the biggest scandals and downfalls um, in the history of finance. And it's on 60 Minutes this week, and a prolific author is even getting challenged and everybody has their heels dug in on one side or the other. And I find that fascinating. And I find it opportunistic because when that does happen, people get a little blinded and overlook stuff. And I learned to never be convinced, to always be curious. And I find it interesting. One of the traditional finance goes all the way back hundreds of years and stocks and charting. And a gentleman I learned quite a bit from when everybody's talking about breakouts and upside and how to make money, which is also part of what once again led to this dramatic recent crash in cryptocurrency last year. And, and as always, when somebody gets carried out on their shield and you can rewind, you can listen to former episodes of Mailbox Money. We're trying to share our entire playbook in any asset class. There's one common theme and it has nothing to do with the asset. It's always egos and leverage. And when you mix those two together, some of the smartest people can get carried out on their shields. But one, one guy I learned a lot from, a um, technician named Tom DeMarc. And what drew me to his work was rather than the breakouts and the upside, which attracted crowds, 
he shared a very, very deep dive, perfect for me as a nerdy mathlete, of what happens when prices get exhausted and a countdown. And when things stop going down, it is a real interesting clue, no matter what you're talking about. And it at least bears looking at and kicking some rocks and turning them over and what is going on there. I couldn't help but look, Jackson, I'm going to get out of the way right here. If anybody's listening, if anybody's open-minded, the fact that this, that you know, and I'm going to give you, he, Jackson Wood is a native. He is one of less than one handful of people. We went to an industry conference where more investment advisors congregated than any meeting I've ever been a part of. They want to talk to this guy about cryptocurrency. He knows where all the bodies are buried. And he's been there since day one and he's never drank the Kool-Aid. He's never pounded the table. He's just learned and shared his open playbook with his skin in the game since day one that I'm proud of for you. I'm proud to be a partner. I'm proud to be a stakeholder with what you are building with Freedom Day Digital. So I'm gonna get out of the way and let you talk about this. But I couldn't help but notice as this book gets launched and all this attention and all the obvious problems and scandals, it stopped going down right during that washout and the bloodshed and the guys getting carried out on their shield. And quietly, one year later, the super ultra safe conservative bond funds, supposed to be the smartest money, smartest money out there. I saw a great quote this last week, said, I used to think I wanted to come back in the most power, I'd be a president or I'd be a 400 baseball hitter, I'd actually rather come back as the bond market because that has the most power. Well, the bond <laughs> fund, the largest bond fund, 20-year treasury, I, I notice is down 17% in the last one year as we tape today in October 2023. And Bitcoin quietly is up 40% after it stopped going down. That catches my interest and I am open-minded and I am curious what's going on. And I know you'll bring us up to date with a peek around the corner and I'm excited. I love that. So um, really one of the unfortunate, but in, in I want to use that word in, in quotations, one of the unfortunate aspects of speculation or speculative investing is that sometimes price will drive the narrative, right? And as the price goes up and you hit on this, Ryan, as the price goes up, so does the narrative. And you start to see publications talking about, you know, the future of Bitcoin, the future of cryptocurrency, and, and they'll get really excited and they get more eyeballs as the price goes up. And then that inevitably draws investors in and then they, 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 they introduce this to their portfolio and they add leverage and it just ultimately spells disaster. Nowhere is this idea of price driving narrative more obvious than it is in crypto. Um, I got invested in crypto and involved in 2012 when I was an economics undergrad in college. And since 2012, I have seen three, what I call super cycles uh, around cryptocurrency. And it's all in fact driven by price. And so at this point, while it has stopped going down and has actually outperformed a lot of asset classes over the last year and year to date, um, the narrative is not catching up. It's not breaking out to new highs. And so we're, we're kind of in this environment where it's being ignored. And a lot of people are talking about the negative sides of cryptocurrency. And while there are, and there was a tremendous amount of fraud, um, we've taken care of a lot of the bad actors at this point. They're going through the justice system and will probably end up, you know, hating their lives for the next 30 to 40 years or 
you know, whatever their, their sentencing will be. Um, and it was, it occurred to me that during one of these, uh, downward cycles, these bear markets back in 2024, I tweeted something that every time that the price drops or that this type of cycle happens, I, I remind myself. So I, I pulled up the tweet and it says, this is April 14th of 2014. So I think I was probably trying to convince myself that I was still on the right trade after I lost some money and, and Bitcoin had a sell-off. So it says, if you're a technologist, then the price of Bitcoin is the least interesting aspect compared to Bitcoin's utility and underlying potential. The dot-com crash killed the total market valuation of internet companies, but it never killed the underlying value of the internet. So think of, think of me in 2014 trying to console my wallet, you know, my digital wallet as I had you know, seen it skyrocket in value and then it started to come down. And, and I didn't realize how profound that actually was when I, when I said that because I didn't understand the magnitude of the next cycle and the next cycle. So as we sit at what I think is the beginning of the, the very beginnings of the next cycle, I wanted to point out some interesting developments and some interesting advancements that we have seen quietly go under discussed un, no one's talking about it it's not making news during this period of depressed prices so the first one is ethereum and the ethereum update um, back in 2014 when i made that tweet about bitcoin i i wasn't looking at ethereum and it had to do with the tokenomics of the underlying blockchain now that's nerd speak for the investment thesis around Ethereum. So back then, the Ethereum blockchain was a new experiment. It was unproven. It didn't have it, it, what I could wrap my mind around as a compelling long-term investment thesis, right? I, I wasn't willing to risk long-term, uh, long-duration money in this new experiment because I couldn't wrap my mind around a good idea, a good reason to do so, right? And some of, some of the economics of, of Ethereum at that time were that there was no supply cap. So the total amount of these tokens being issued was just going to increase exponentially indefinitely, just create more and more and more. And we all know that, you know, from, from fiat currency, that the more of these units of currency that get created, the lower your purchasing power becomes. So think about, I see this all the time with interest rates being where they are and home prices. Um, I was talking to one of the partners that, that we work for and they purchased their first home for $75,000, right? I don't, I don't even know, that can't even buy you a new pickup truck nowadays, right? So that same idea of um, inflationary currency is what we saw in Ethereum in 2014. So the only way back then that the price of these tokens would go up is if demand outpaced supply, right? If demand was going up faster than the new supply or the new issuance of these, that would be a combination for rising prices. As you think back to Economics 101 and you charted the supply demand curves, and we actually saw it, right? We saw the price of Ethereum skyrocket. We saw the price of these, uh, these assets that did not have this fundamental investment thesis go up. And we happily missed out on that those trades, right? Because they, they made no sense for us long term. And ultimately, supply demand forces took over and we saw the price start to come back down. Now, as the price of Ethereum has come down significantly, it almost got to $10,000 per Ethereum. It's sitting right around $1,800 as we record this. Um, that has 
pulled a lot of eyeballs away from the speculative side of this. People aren't talking about it. They aren't, there aren't fancy news articles about this. However, the technologist side is in more of a bull market now than it has ever been, the developers. Ethereum has undergone the most significant upgrade during 2022 when, when SBF was getting hauled off to prison, when exchanges were being shut down, when hedge funds were getting liquidated. The core development team has since upgraded Ethereum in the most monumental way that I have ever seen in any cryptocurrency project since 2012. Now, the underlying tokenomics or investment thesis inside of Ethereum finally checks the mark for us as something we see opportunity and potential in. And that's because the entire basis and the entire function of the blockchain has shifted. And I won't get into all of the you know nerdy upgrades and technical lingo, but I, I, I do want to want to talk about one thing that's changed, right? So the problem before was that supply was unlimited. New coins were coming on the on market all the time. And the only way the price went up is if demand superseded the supply increase. Well, right now, the total number of Ethereum, because of these upgrades in existence, is decreasing every single day. So the Ethereum network has become deflationary. And the rate of the deflationary component here will increase as the network popularity grows. So I know that that was kind of complex, but basically what I'm saying is instead of this fiat currency where you know new dollars or new euros or new yen are being created all the time, they're actually decreasing this. And so the purchasing power per unit of underlying currency is expected to go up. And this is happening during a time of depressed prices, of depressed attention, um, but slowly in the background while no one is looking, while no one is watching, these huge fundamental changes are occurring. And that to me is a perfect combination of the crowd is looking elsewhere, the builders are silently improving things, and we are sitting at the apex of this opportunity and intersection. Um, and to me, that that's really crucial and important as we manage these portfolios moving forward. So I wouldn't get too nerdy there, but wanted to really make this uh, make this exciting and have us plant our flag in the opposite direction of, of a lot of people in the crowd. Well, I'm going to get right back out of the way, but my only other two cents from the digital dinosaur side of the room is it's been conspicuous during that past year. And I think, and I, my hunch would be, we'll look back 10 years from now and, and what stopped going down typically like in all asset classes was the first big clue. But then when you see smart money, unlevered smart money, quietly gathering around the table and adding to stakes with dry powder, not leverage, as we've seen and witnessed conspicuously with some traditional finance asset managers, you could argue, and I know you have, that it's a hedge against their own career risk because some of their own outdated plumbing and architecture and what it takes days to process in the old banking world um, to be able to eliminate some of those friction points, I know is what had you originally excited with the technology side of this. And I appreciate you bringing that old tweet out because that's exactly what got me interested in your mindset. 
um, not being distracted by the crowds of the price, but watching the underlying technology. And I'd love any example that comes to mind over the past year, a tangible piece of evidence. And again, we take a lot for granted in this country what, what is easy to transact that anybody in most of the rest of the world um, would envy. And I think we take currency and the dollar for granted, and we probably shouldn't. Um, but I've been awfully interested in some of the traditional finance dinosaurs quietly bellying up to the table and putting their own hard-earned dollars, and we're talking about serious dollars, and building out infrastructures while these notable crowds and collapses were occurring, carrying them out. Um, so anything that comes to mind uh, before we sign off, Jackson, that might be interesting that to at least consider or chew on or keep an open mind about that has caught your attention and that would, would, that would good to share, speak, speak to the digital dinosaurs out there like me. So a couple of these are, are coming to mind and, and these get me excited. So uh, rewind the clock. It's my birthday in 2022. I think it's 22. Yeah, it's 2022. I'm sitting on the stage at a conference full of ETF managers. I'm sitting next to someone that I've looked up to for years, uh, John Van Eck. It runs Van Eck, the world's largest gold miner, uh, you know, and gold spot, spot gold ETF, just this sweet, you know, billions and billions of dollars under management. And it's him and I sitting on, on the stage. And uh, he, he's talking about his, his belief that this technology is going to change the way Wall Street and finance works. And so much so they believe it, that it will be disruptive to their underlying core suite of products and business that their thousands of employees depend on for their livelihood. And so not only were they kind of planting their flag, but they are the first, uh, the first out there yesterday, their Ethereum uh, futures ETF launched through Venek, which is so, uh, if, if you understand the use case of Ethereum, you know how disruptive this can be to the settlement of the traditional securities world and the trading and the transacting of these securities. So to see Van Eck, one of these larger uh, you know, ETF sponsors and mutual fund sponsors, go out and say, you know what, we're, we're, we believe in this, we're going to do it. We're going to pony up with our money and our resources and launch this product, launched yesterday. And they're actually on the list for five or six more of these these. Uh, future and spot-based products. And then the other one that I like that comes to mind is the actual you know, nuts and bolts of disruption here. So quietly, while everybody's talking about you know, the fraud and, and all the you know, maliciousness that occurred in, in the unregulated space, some of my favorite companies are the, those that disrupt traditional banks like Venmo and PayPal, Braintree, you know, some of these, you know, Stripe, Square, all these, all these companies that disrupt. Quietly, they launched this year a stablecoin, a PayPal-backed stablecoin. So that's digital dollars that trades on the Ethereum network that will solve this delayed process of bank fund settlements. So instead of going through the wire process or the four to five day long process of ACH and clearing checks and EFTs in and out that can delay things, you can now write on the PayPal or the Venmo network and soon to be branched out to all of these um, credit card processing companies and uh, you know, financial, um, uh, uh, financial technology companies, instant settlement 
of your dollars in your bank account powered by the Ethereum blockchain. And so it's it's eating their lunch, right? It's it's hedging, right? And I said a long time ago, if I worked at one of these large banks, maybe I would hedge my career risk with a portfolio full of DeFi and cryptocurrencies as a, as a side. Um, but this is happening quietly. It gets no press because the press has other things that they want to talk about. But this is where you see these fundamental improvements in the underlying technology that years later are felt and, and you know are magnified as you as time goes on and, and the true power of the disruption um, really really shines through. So that that was a lot on Ethereum and stable coins and what we're seeing with you know Ethereum futures um, ETFs being launched and the attention we're getting from Wall Street. I would be I would I would regret if I did not bring up some Bitcoin improvements because Bitcoin is the flagship cryptocurrency. It's the first one I ever purchased. Um, it's the one I, I, I really do have complete conviction in. What we're seeing in Bitcoin has been nothing shy of remarkable. So now I got to nerd out for just a second here talking about the tokenomics of Bitcoin. But one of the things that drew me and draws a lot of people to Bitcoin is the fixed supply. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins ever created. So unlike fiat currency and unlike a lot of other cryptocurrencies, the supply of new Bitcoins that will go into existence is capped at 21 million Bitcoins. And the rate of creation of these Bitcoins is also, also scheduled at intervals. So back in the day when I first started investing in Bitcoin, 50 new Bitcoin were created through the mining network as a reward to the miners for securing the network every 10 minutes. When that 50 Bitcoin every 10 minutes decreases, it's called a halving. And it decreases by 50% on a scheduled interval. So it went from 50 Bitcoin being created to 25 Bitcoin being created. Then that happened for a few years. So every 10 minutes, 25 Bitcoin. And then it decreases again. Went from 12.5 to 6.25. Well, in April of 2024, we are getting to the next halving of the Bitcoin network. So instead of there being 6.25 Bitcoins minted or mined every 10 minutes, it's going to go down to 3.125. And so I pulled up a chart and McKay's going to show this. It's a table that shows the price at the halving historically for the last three, and then the price 150 days later. But I want you to think about this, not as a technician or trying to gauge the price, just as the economics side of this um, as it pertains to the economic side. So the world is fighting over a fewer and fewer uh, amount of Bitcoin. And the new Bitcoin that are being created every 10 minutes is also going down. So as a fun function of supply and demand, this presents an interesting opportunity. And what we're seeing, this is scheduled to happen in, in April of 2024. We now have Wall Street entering the game. Um, not only are they entering the game by investing in Bitcoin inside of funds and inside of um, you know, innovative crypto companies and taking equity stakes, they're also creating products that will invest in Bitcoin directly. And the biggest list and the, the like holy grail of what Wall Street is trying to do here is they're trying to get a spot Bitcoin ETF approved. When I say they, Wall Street, I'm, I'm talking like the top of the top in the ivory towers. We're talking BlackRock. Talking Fidelity, Invesco, Ark Invest, Vanek, Wisdom Tree. I mean, the list goes on and on. We have Fidelity Investments not only filing for a spot Bitcoin ETF, 
but they very quietly released the ability to buy Bitcoin directly in your Fidelity retail account and in your institutional account. So advisors and, uh, and retail can now buy Bitcoin directly. Now, I do believe that this ought to be actively managed inside of a portfolio from someone tenured that knows how to navigate these incredibly volatile and complex markets. But we, not only are we getting to the halving, which historically has been incredibly bullish, but we're now seeing Wall Street start to understand the tokenomics and what's at play here. And they're anteing up and bringing their chips to the table because they're seeing what this can do, uh, not only for your portfolio, but you know, in the future and, and the future of disruption. So I went on record that day on my birthday saying that by the end of 2024, we would have a decision on a spot Bitcoin ETF. Since then, Grayscale has won the bet or won their lawsuit against the SEC. They're going to be allowed to convert to a, a Bitcoin ETF. Um, and then other Wall Street mega institutions have joined the race and they're getting involved too. So just this morning, I was watching Matt Hogan and John Van Eck from Bitwise and from Van Eck say before the end of 2023 or very early in 2024, will we have a decision on the spot Bitcoin ETF? And they all think it's going to be approved. So really the essence of this is very quietly in the background, these underlying technologies have been improving fundamentally. No one's talking about it. Everybody's distracted, looking the other way, but they are improving and they're improving more dramatically and at a faster rate than I've seen since 2020, uh, 2012. And we've also got Wall Street starting to inch their way into this in a fully regulated and compliant manner, which in my mind is the optimal time to, to take a, a serious look at the technology and see if it's something that you believe in, which is something cer we certainly do. And how you express that, I know it's fair. If nobody's ever listened to you before, just share real quickly next to safe and sacred what a tiny fraction of a fraction of an overall plan put at risk and whether you consider it venture capital technology like I do or a hedge, cryptocurrency, whatever you want to call it, if it hasn't gone away, if it didn't die, and if there's something there in an unlevered way that would never change anybody's life or plan, how would you express that? Yeah, I love that. And I think you nailed it, right? So if, if you are in a position where you can afford to put some money at risk, money that you're not going to depend on in the future, money that you don't need in a safe al allocation, now we're talking potential investment into, into cryptocurrency. There are products. And I just went off for a few minutes on Wall Street products and derivatives and futures and, and all that. There is nothing better and there never will be anything better than actual cryptocurrency investment, the ability to hold actual Bitcoin and actual Ethereum and whatever comes next in an actively managed portfolio in an account in your name. There's no fund. There's no commingling. There's no there, there's nothing there than the simple, pure ingredients of direct ownership of Bitcoin and direct ownership of Ethereum. That is the best way, the only way that you will take full advantage of what this technology offers. And that's the way that we are going to express this and the way I've expressed this in my own portfolio since 2012. Uh, so that, that really is the best and only way that we would consider this so that you can take full advantage of what the technology offers. All right.
if anybody out there has any questions, would like to talk to us about, about our, our uh, crypto offering and, and what we do, how we actively manage these portfolios, you can email us team at freedomdaysolutions.com. Visit our website, freedomdaysolutions.com. And with that, we will see everybody next week. This show is brought to you by Freedom Day Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisory firm advising individuals and families nationwide. Performance is not guaranteed and past results are not necessarily indicative of future performance. To learn more, visit freedomdaysolutions.com. This show contains general information that is not suitable for everyone and was shared for informational purposes only. Any forward-looking statement or opinion expressed is subject to change without notice. Nothing contained herein constitutes investment, legal, tax, or other advice, nor is it to be relied on in making investment or other decisions. Clients of Freedom Day Solutions may hold positions in the securities discussed. Thank you.